We're going to be looking at the Word of God this morning. If you have a Bible with you, you might want to be finding Numbers chapter 13. I told someone I was preaching from the book of Numbers. They went, Numbers? Numbers? Why did you preach from Numbers? So uh, anyway, you get the whole choice of the whole Bible. You can preach on anything you want. Let's go for Numbers. Um, we're going to look at Numbers chapter 13 and 14. And uh, really what I'm going to do is I'm, we're going to walk through it and read the passage as I'm preaching. So you might want to just follow it as we go through. Sometimes the words will appear like there. Uh, up on the screen. That was good timing, wasn't it? Just as you point, <laughs> up it appears. Um, so we're going to preach through that. I'm going to be preaching through the NIV, but if you've got ESV, that's okay. You'll be able to just follow it as you go. Um, the context, the idea of where we're at in Numbers is at the moment we're looking at Moses and God had been doing a work among his people. He delivered them from Egypt and uh, he'd given them the Ten Commandments and they'd been in the desert for quite some time at this point. Um, at one point, God had, had actually said, because of their rebellion and worshipping an idol, a golden calf, uh, he'd said, look, I'm, I'm not going to go with you into the promised land. There's this land that they're headed towards, and God had said, I'm not going to go with you. Moses had kind of interceded, prayed, sought God, and said, no, look, if you don't go with us, who are we? We're, we're no one. We're no different to anyone else. And, um, and now it was finally time. God had agreed, I'll go with you. I'm going to be with you going into the promised land. And now was the time, when we get to Numbers 13, when the people were going to enter into the promised land. God said, now's the time. You've been on this mountain for long enough. You're going to head into the promised land. You can actually read uh, the parallel story to this in Deuteronomy, uh, start of Deuteronomy chapter, chapter 1, I think. And uh, you can read it from a different perspective, from Moses' perspective. But we're going to just look at it from here. Uh, so it's an exciting time really, isn't it? It's an exciting time. I've been waiting for this for so long. So many promises. Abraham had been given the promises and he followed faithfully Isaac, Jacob. They'd been in Egypt. They'd been delivered from Egypt. Man, this is going to be good. This is going to be good. We're going in to the promised land. What excitement, what glory was going to be ahead of them. That should have been what this chapter was about. That should have been what we were going to be reading about in this chapter. Going in, taking the land. But that's not what we're going to read. That's not what happened. These two chapters don't tell us of a great victory. They give us actually a sober warning about the importance of continuing to walk in faith. The importance of continuing to walk in the presence of God. The importance of continuing to trust in Him. But even in the middle of these chapters, which could be quite depressing if you read them really, we still see men of faith. We still see men of faith pressing on, trusting in God. We'll see warnings and we're going to see encouragements. And I believe that as a church, you stand in a similar place in some ways to the Israelites. God's been with you powerfully as a church in moving you on from where you have been in the past. A church may be lacking the dynamic presence of God years, years past into a place where you've been strengthened, where you have seen God acting in miraculous ways, where you have known him. You've had promises from God. You've received direction from God. You're holding on to things that you feel and believe that God has said to you about going. So much of which Joe was talking about last week 
exciting things, going and, and seeing people in French-speaking Canada receive and, and the gospel and, and be made disciples, seeing churches built and strengthened all across Atlantic Canada and even beyond that into the nations. Now is a time for you to advance. It just seems there's a time, having come out of these things, that God is saying now is a time to move forward. We've even started to see some of that in, in, in coming into this very building here. Uh, Because here's a place where you can grow, where you can expand. It's time to advance. We've even heard this morning that God is with us. He's in our midst. He's singing over us. But as we move forward, as you move forward as a church, there's bold steps of faith that need to be taken. And we can learn much from these chapters. So let's start in uh, Numbers chapter 13. It says, The Lord said to Moses, Send some men to explore the land of Canaan, which I'm giving to the Israelites. From every ancestral tribe, send one of its leaders. He, God says to Moses, Send some people to explore the land. If we read it back in Deuteronomy, actually, we see the idea came from the people, and Moses thought, Hey, that's a good idea. And, and so, actually, we see that God speaks through people. God speaks through you in the church. You could come and say, hey, I think this is a great idea to the leaders. And the leaders feel, I've heard from God on this. They might say, actually, yeah, we believe that's God. Because it was God speaking to Moses uh, through the people. So it says, so at the Lord's command, Moses sent them out from the desert of Paran. And all of them were leaders of the Israelites. These are their names. And then we see on the, next, uh, on the next bit of the Bible, we see the list of names of the leaders of different tribes. One person, one young man probably from each tribe uh, of the Israelites, each tribe, uh, and they went in to scope out the land. They were going to go and look and see what was going on. And uh, out of that list of 12 names, and I'm not even going to read them all, because uh, just for the time, you can look at them yourself. I don't think you're going to remember or know of many of those names. They're not going to be names that you think, oh, yes. As you go through, you might think, oh, well, maybe I'll read a few of them. You know, oh, there's one, verse 6, Caleb. I've heard of Caleb. Well, there's a reason why you've heard of Caleb, and maybe not some of the others. And there's a reason why you might have heard of Joshua, who's kind of hidden in there in verse 8. He's called Hos. Hosea, and uh, it explains in verse 16 that Moses gave Hosea the name Joshua. Joshua and Caleb were part of these 12 guys who were going in there. And Moses chooses one each of them. They were leaders, key leaders at the time. So they would have been well known at the time. They might mean nothing to us today. But at the time, they were like, they're they're the men. They're the guys. They're going into the land. They're going to scope out the land. They're going to spot what is going on. And it says in verse 17, when Moses sent them up to explore Canaan, he said, go up through the Negev and on into the hill country. See what the land is like. See whether the people who live there are strong or weak, few or many. What kind of land do they live in? Is it good or bad? What kind of towns do they live in? Are they unwalled or fortified? How's the soil? Is it fertile or poor? Are there trees in it or not? Do your best to bring back some of the fruit of the land. It was the season for the first ripe grapes. So that's the task. That's the mission that they're going on. So that all the people are going to be going into the land. And Moses says, look, you guys go out first. Find out the ways to go. You know, just spy it out. Which is the good way to go? Let's, let's work out what we've got to face here. And that's pretty 
good idea to do, isn't it? Because we can go into something. It's no good just going into something. Oh, yeah, God's with us. You know, and we don't, we don't check out the facts. We need to find out what, we, what it is we're going through. There's a bit of wisdom there in that. You don't just have to come across things with, oh, I didn't even know we were going to have this obstacle. You know, oh, let's rent out the convention center. Oh, oh, you're charging us some money for it. Oh, didn't check that one out. Oh, okay. You know, let's check out the facts. Check out the facts before we go. That's what these guys commissioned was. That's what they were going to do. And so we read about the journey that they go on. It says in verse 21, so... They went up and explored the land from the desert of Zin as far as Rehob towards Leho Hamath. They came up through the Negev and came to Hebron, where Ahiman, Sheshai, and Talmai, the descendants of Anak, lived. Okay, here we get a little worrying sign. This is a bit of a worrying thing because they came to the place called Hebron. Now, you, if you know your Bible well, if you know your Old Testament well, you will have heard of Hebron before. Hebron is the place that Abraham came to, and uh, he built an altar there to God. And it was the place that when his wife Sarah died, he bought some land. He bought the land in Hebron, and he buried his wife there. And then Abraham ended up being buried there as well. And then when Isaac and Rebekah died, they were brought, and they were buried in Hebron too, as, as was Jacob and Leah. So all of the patriarchs were buried in this spot of land which had been bought by Abraham. It was just like, a, a, for Abraham, it was like, we've got some of the land. He's been carrying these promises about the land with him for years and years and years. And now he's got some of the land. This is like a prophetic sign. We're going to have this land. God's going to give it to us. I don't know when it's going to be, but he's going to give us this land. And so there's an altar there, they're buried there. That should have been the place where when these spies came up, we're in Hebron. Guys, this is the place. This is the place where Abraham is. This is where he's buried. Come on, guys. God's going to give us this land. But they didn't describe it as that. It wasn't even described as the place where Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob were laying. It was described as the place where Ahiman, Sheshai, and Talmai lived. Who are they? Who are these guys? Well, they are some big guys who live there. They're kind of big, strong men. They've got big feet, you know. And that's what they, uh, they, well, it doesn't actually say that. You kind of read that into the text. They probably do have big feet, you know. (laughs) Big muscles, big heads. (laughs) Anyway, they're big. They're big. They're descendants of Anak. Anak, if you know anything about Anak, he was big. (laughs) He's a big guy. And, you know, that's what they're focusing on. That's what they're focusing on. Man, there's some big guys live there now. Some big guys. Okay, only three, but big guys. And the focus has been taken off. You can see the focus is taken off God. The focus is taken off the promise. The focus is taken off what those Abraham, Isaac, Jacob have been believing for for all those years. And now the focus is on, man, there's some big guys living there. Let's go on and look around some more places. So they're kind of going out. They're going for 40 days. They go up and explore. It says, says, uh, when they reached the valley of Eskol, they cut off a branch bearing a single cluster of grapes. 
And two of them carried it on a pole between them along with some pomegranates and figs. That's a that's some big grapes, isn't it? If two of them have to carry one bunch of grapes on a pole, it's like, man, it's big grapes. Oh, it's, probably, it's probably the food for the, for the big guys over there. <laughs> Better be quick. They're going to be after us. You know, it's big. Everything in the land's big. And it says that place was called the Valley of Eskol because the cluster of grapes that Israelites cut off there. And after 40 days, they return from visiting the land and they give their report. So they've been out for 40 days. Now, 40 days, they've seen the land and then they give their report. It says this in verse 26, they came back to Moses and Aaron and the whole Israelite community at Kadesh in the desert of Paran. So they're waiting for them to come back. Everyone's waiting. What's the report like? How's it going to be? And they reported to them and to the whole assembly. They showed them the fruit of the land. Wow. Look at this fruit. Look at these grapes. Anyone want a grape? It's like this big each grape. Do you want a grape? You know, they went and they gave Moses this account. And they said this. We went into the land you showed us, you sent us to. And it does flow with milk and honey. Here is its fruit. You know, it's like, wow. God's told us about this land. He said it's going to be a land flowing with milk and honey. And do you know what? It is. It is. It's an amazing land. We've never seen a land like it. And then they say this, but. Well, it's always a bad word, isn't it? But the people who live there are powerful. And the cities are fortified and very large. We even saw descendants of Anak there. Not, we've been to the place where Abraham was buried. We saw the descendants of Anak. Not the descendants of Anak. And the Amalekites, they live in the Negev. And the Hittites and Jebusites and Amorites, they live in the hill country. And the Canaanites live near the sea and along the Jordan. There are people all over the land. And they're giving their report. and And they're saying, we're not sure. We're not sure. I mean, Caleb comes in quickly then. Caleb can kind of see where this is going. And it says, Caleb silenced them. He silenced the people before Moses and said, no, 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 no. We should go up and take possession of the land. We can certainly do it. Because he's he's seeing what God has got for them. He's seeing that God's with them. But the men who'd gone up with him said, "We, we can't attack these people. We can't attack these people. They're stronger than we are. You know, they've, these these spies, they've had 40 days. Actually, they've drifted in their walk with God. They've lost perspective. You see, their perspective has been taken off what God has said to them and their relationship with God. And, and they've started to look at some of the detail. So it's good to know the detail, but their focus is fixed on the detail. They've, they've lost the big picture. God's giving us this land. And they're like, but there's some big guys here, and there's these guys here. Oh, and I'm not sure. And they're getting more and more uncertain. And any excitement, any faith have been replaced by fear. You know, the people are too powerful. The cities are too large. There are people all over the land. Now, Caleb's trying to bring it back to God. Caleb knows that with God, nothing's impossible. That's what it says in Luke chapter 1 and verse 37. Nothing is impossible with God. And Philippians chapter 4 and Paul and verse 13, Paul says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Not on my own, but through all things, through Christ who strengthens me. That's what 
Caleb's believing, but the men, the other men, they're, they're not sure. And they're fearful. And so what do they do? They, they think, oh no, Caleb's going Caleb's to take us in there and I'm scared and I, I don't think we ought to go, we don't think we ought to go in. So they start to even exaggerate. And they say, we, we can't attack those people. They're stronger than we are. And it says, and they spread a bad report among the Israelites about the land they explored. So here's what they start saying. The land we explored devours those living in it. Wow. This land, you go, even the people living in it, even these giants living in it, the land devours them. It's just so huge. And all the people there are of great size. Everyone. Hang on, I thought it was just three. I thought it was just these three guys, you know, in the big house, tall room. No, all the people there are of great size. We saw the Nephilim there. And it says the descendants of Anak come from the Nephilim. Still talking about these three guys with the big feet. Now they're the Nephilim. The Nephilim, these like race of giants that's referred to in Genesis chapter 6. Um, and they're saying, they're there. You've not heard of them for years, but that's where they're living. It's the giants in the land. Man, we looked, we seemed like grasshoppers in our own eyes. And we looked the same to them. Our fear, fear's got in. Fear's got in. And fear can do such destructive things when it gets into us. You know, when we, get, when we let fear get into our hearts, when we let fear get into our spirits about things, everything suddenly seems much bigger. Everything takes on these giant proportions. You'll, you'll have known that in your life if you've allowed fear to get in. You know, things that you think, I'm not sure about this. The more you think about, oh, I don't know, I'm really worried about this, it becomes bigger and bigger and bigger. And suddenly, instead of those three guys, oh, okay, we've got to beat these three guys. No, there's giants in the land. There's giants in the land. There's giants in our mind. Everything gets out of proportion. And fear kills faith. Fear kills faith. It just paralyzes you. I don't know if you've ever been in a position where you've, where you've been really fearful. I, I, did a, I did a bungee jump once. And uh, we've we, we got this, this, this free bungee jump that we could do. And so me and a few mates, we went up and uh, we, we climbed. It was an inside one in the dark. And we climbed up this tower really, really high in, this, in, in Sheffield. A big industrial warehouse type of place. And uh, they tie the bungee on, onto, your, onto your ankle and they, and they get you to step out to the edge. And they say, right, and you look down and you're like, whoa, that's a long way down. And it's a concrete floor. <laughs> it's not like going into water or anything like that. Concrete floor, okay. And, they say, and the guy says, look, he says, I'm going to say one, two, three, bungee. He says, and when I say bungee, you go. He says, do you know what? If you, if you hesitate at that point, he said, you'll never go. You'll just not go. He said, because you'll start to think about, oh, that's a long way down. He said, actually, don't look down. He said, look straight ahead and just go. And, and, so, and so I'm like, okay, okay. So, and I did. That's what I did. I did manage to do it. I'm like, one, two, three, punch you're like, whoa, and you, and you go. But then I, and it was amazing. It's amazing because you, you're held on by this rubber thing and it's bouncing you up and down. And, wow. And then, I, and then I'm watching someone else from the bottom. And they're up there. And this guy, and he, he just froze. He just froze. 
And I could see him up there, and he's like looking down, and he's talking to them, and he, oh no. And I'm thinking, he's not going to do it. He's not going to do it. He was up there for about five minutes. Eventually, they're taking it off him, and he does the, he does the walk of shame down the steps again. <laughs> Everyone's like, oh, all his mates, like, ah. <laughs> he, let, he let it get in. He started to look at the floor. He started to think about the facts too much instead of, I'm held on. I'm secure. I'm going to be okay. Oh no, that's a hard concrete floor. It's a long way down. He can't do it. Fear can do that. Fear can do that. Everything seems so much bigger. It's summed up here, isn't it, by, by what they say about seeming like grasshoppers. We seemed like grasshoppers in our own eyes. They were like, man, these guys are big and we look like grasshoppers. But then, you see, that's fair enough. But then he says, and we looked the same to them. How do you know? How do you know? Did you go up and ask them? I bet we look like grasshoppers to you, don't we? No, they didn't. They're just imagining that that's how they saw them. They don't know that that's how they were seen. And actually, we get the privilege of being able to see what they did think. Because if you flip forward in the Bible to Joshua chapter 2, you see later on, 40 years later, the same thing happens, you see. We're kind of skipping forward a little in the story. But 40 years later, Joshua now leading, sends some spies out into land. Same thing again. Makes sense. He sends some spies out. They come to a uh, woman called Rahab. And and they're hiding up on the roof because the people are after them. And Rahab comes up to them on the roof. And she says this in Joshua chapter 2 and verse 8. It says, before the spies lay down for the night, Rahab went up onto the roof and she said to them this, I know the Lord has given this land to you and that a great fear of you has fallen on all of us. Now that's in the land. This is in Jericho. A great fear has fallen on all of us so that all who live in this country are melting in fear because of you. We have heard how the, how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you and how you came out of Egypt and what you did to Shehon and Og, the two kings of the Amorite, kings of the Jordan, when you destroyed it. When we heard of it, our hearts sank and everyone's courage failed because of you. For the Lord your God is God in heaven above and on the earth below. Everyone's fearful. Why? Because they know that God was with them. The people who lived in the land were like, man, we've heard the stories of how God is with these people, how they've been delivered from Egypt, how the the Egyptians have been killed in the Red Sea, how they've won these battles, and they think, and now they're going to come in here next. And they're just waiting for the day when the people come in and they know, we've had it. We've got no chance because God's with them. And they're in fear. But but the, the, the spies are going out and they're going, oh, no, no. You know, they're thinking that, that they seem like giants to them. Oh, these grasshoppers. No, they're in fear. Forty years later, they're still in fear. Forty years later, they're still remembering these things. But the Israelites, these spies, they'd forgotten about it within months. They'd forgotten. They'd forgotten that God was with them. We see the effect. And this fear spreads And it spreads from the leaders. Now, these 10 group of leaders. So we've got Moses and Aaron. They're going for it. Caleb and Joshua. We see Joshua later on. They're still believing in God. The other 10 start spreading this story. And we see what happens by Numbers 
14. It says, That night all the people of the community raised their voices and wept aloud. All the Israelites grumbled against Moses and Aaron. And all the community assembly said to them, If only we died in Egypt or in this desert. Oh, why is the Lord bringing us to this land? Only to let us fall by our sword. Oh, our wives and children are going to be taken as plunder. Oh, wouldn't it be better to go to Egypt? And they said, We should choose another leader and go back to Egypt. What a disaster. They're all just thinking, our whole children are going to be killed. We need a new leader. We'd be better off dying here. Man, how's it got like this? Fear. Fear. There's a leadership rebellion. Fear doesn't need fueling. Fear just provides its own fuel. Once fear gets in, it just gets worse and worse and worse. And it just fuels it. And we can easily become consumed by fear of all kinds of things. Fear for our families. Fear for our health. Fear of death. Fear about our finances. Fear of what the future might bring. And all these things, they can, they can just consume us. And they can kill our relationship with God. And they paralyze us. We can't go anywhere. We're scared of even making a decision. And we, and we, how do we go from faith to fear? We move from faith to fear when we remove ourselves out of the presence of God. When we remove ourselves from the manifest presence of God. Yeah, it can be easy to be enthusiastic about big picture, the big picture, the big scene. But when we get into the detail, it can all start to get overwhelming if we're not walking with God. For us as a family, our big picture is that God is calling us to move from from England, where we've lived all our life, and Sheffield, where we've lived all our adult life, where our kids have always lived, to move continent. And so, even coming here, it's like, okay, God, we're trusting in you. But there's a lot of questions. And we have to find out a lot of things. Oh, what about immigration? And you you can start to get focused in on the small things, on the details. Well, how are we going to get a job? What job am we going to have? And where are we going to live? And, and will our house sell back in England? And actually, can we get, is immigration going to work? How are we going to do that? Isn't that difficult? And will we be able to buy a property? We won't have a credit rating. And what friends will we have? What about all our friends? Are we going to be able to make new friends? How will the kids cope? And what about the schooling? And will we be able to get a family doctor? And, and what if we get sick? And what if, I don't even know, if we get a job, what money will they give us? And will we be able to afford to live? And all of these things, which are real questions that you've got to answer at some point and you've got to address, but they can become overwhelming. Oh, we best just stay back in Sheffield. Oh, we know where we are there. Let's just stay there. Oh, we've got a job. It's okay. But we're paralyzed. It's fear. It can get in. And in, in each of your life, there'll be areas where you have to make a choice between faith and fear. There'll be choices that you have to make, you know. Similar for you, maybe. Can we, can we afford to have more kids? Can we afford to give up a wage? Can we really give to the church and survive financially? Can I really believe God is allowing me to have a day off each week and, and work, but we, and we really need the money? Can we really serve? And, and, and the, the things that the elders are asking us to do in the church, can we really serve in that? We've got these health issues. I'm not sure. Can we really talk to people about Jesus? Expect them to come to know God. What about our kids? 
all these different questions, that, and you'll have the ones of your own. Only Joshua and Caleb here stand with Moses and Aaron in encouraging people to come into the land. It says, verse 6, Joshua, son of Nun, and Caleb, son of Jephunneh, who were among those who had explored the land, tore their clothes and said to the entire Israelite assembly, the land we passed through is, and, and explored is exceedingly good. If the Lord's pleased with us, he will lead us into that land, a land flowing with milk and honey. He will give it us. Only don't rebel against the Lord. Don't be afraid of the people of the land because we will swallow them up. Their protection is gone. But the Lord is with us. Don't be afraid of them. Caleb and Joshua are reminding everyone, God's not even with them. It's a big land, but they're the ones going to be swallowed up. God's with us. Don't you know God's with us? They're keeping God before the people. And that's what's gone out of the minds of all of these other um, spies. And now of all the people, they're not thinking about God. They're not telling stories about how God has done this and this miracle and how God was with us and how he provided for us in the desert with manna and quail. And wow, look at that. And water from the rock and all of these stories, many, many things. The Passover. They're not remembering any of those stories now. No one's telling those stories apart from Joshua and Caleb. They're saying, God is with you. God is on your side. And God's on our side too. They're speaking truth to people. We can easily believe the lies of the enemy. We need to believe the truth. We need to know the truth of God's word. That's why it's so important to get into God's word. And, just, and, and so it comes to mind in times of fear, in times of doubt. No, I know the word of God says this. I know the word of God tells me, you know, you shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free, said Jesus in John chapter 8, verse 32. Paul in Romans 12, verse 2, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Start to think in different ways. Start to walk with God. Will you make decisions based on fear or faith in what God says? Do you remember, seek first the kingdom of God and all these other things will be added to you. Passages like where in Matthew Jesus is saying, don't worry about what you're going to eat or drink. God knows those things. He feeds the birds. He feeds the lilies of the field. He knows those things. You're worth more than that. He's going to take care of you. We have God with us. We have his presence with us. We have his Holy Spirit with us. That's what Joe was saying last week. We can't do anything. We can set out a great vision. But unless we're filled with the Holy Spirit, unless we have the presence of God with us and we know that, we can't do anything. It's interesting, isn't it? We go, if we go back to Exodus in chapter 33, this is way back and Joshua is, um, is Moses' apprentice. Moses is meeting Joshua. Sorry, Moses is meeting God at the tent of meeting. God's presence comes down. And it says this in, in verse 9 of Exodus 33. As Moses went into the tent, the pillar of cloud would come down, stay at the entrance, while the Lord spoke with Moses. Whenever the people saw the pillar of cloud standing at the entrance of the tent, they stood and worshipped. Verse 11. The Lord would speak to Moses face to face. As a man speaks to his friend, presence of God. He says, then Moses would return to the camp. 
But his young assistant, Joshua, son of Nun, didn't leave the tent. Why? Was he the guard? No. He wanted the presence of God. Wow. This tent is where God meets us. Do you know what, guys? I'm staying here. Yeah. Oh, it's supper time. Yeah, okay. I'm staying here. I'm staying here. This is where God comes down and meets with us. Joshua has got used to being in the presence of God. And so that, is it any wonder that he's one of the guys who's like, we can take the land because God's with us. He knows God's with them. Other people are like, no, let's get, let's get something to eat. They've forgotten about God's presence. It's a distant memory to them. And now it's just fear. But Joshua and Caleb and Moses and Aaron, they're still in the presence of God. They know God is going to lead them forward. But it's a disaster because the whole assembly don't listen to Caleb. They don't listen to Joshua. It says the whole assembly talked about stoning them. They were going to get killed for encouraging people to worship God. You know, that can happen. Leaders can sometimes say to their churches, come on, we're moving forward. And people say, well, I don't want, no, we want different leaders. We don't want these guys anymore. We don't like where they're leading us. But they're leading in the presence of God. And, and, and God comes down. God is angry. We haven't even got time to, to read all this. God is angry and he's, he says, I'm going to destroy them. Moses again, he calls out to God. God says here, actually, in verse 12, I will, de- I will strike them down with a plague and destroy them. But Moses, I'll make you into a nation greater and stronger than they. God says to Moses, you know, all these people who are threatening to kill you right now, I'll deal with them and I'll, I'll make you into a stronger nation. You know, you'd think Moses would be like, yes, sounds good to me. <laughs> you know, as a church leader, all your church are grumbling about you and moaning and criticizing you. And God says, I tell you what, I'll get rid of them. I'll give you another church, even better. Okay, sounds good. <laughs> Moses doesn't say that. Moses is like, no, no. What will the Egyptians think when they hear about it? They've heard about all that you've done and they hear that you've killed your people. These are your people. He's calling out on behalf of them. He asks God to forgive them. Moses keeps doing that. He stands in the gap. He says, God, will you forgive them? That's what Jesus does for us. He stands in the gap for us. He says, doesn't he, on the cross, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. They don't know they're killing the Son of God. But they were. And it stands in the gap. And so we can be forgiven. And God says, oh, I'll forgive them. Verse 20, the Lord replies, I have forgiven them as you've asked. He forgives them. But there are still consequences. Yeah, let's, let's stay in God's presence. Let's stay in God's presence. As you move forward in the church, church let me encourage you as, 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 we, as we leave. But let me urge you, stay in God's presence. Stay walking with God. Keep being filled with the Spirit. Keep trusting where God has said to the leaders to go. As God leads you forward as a church into all that you are coming into. I mean, you'll have obstacles to overcome. 
As you reach out into Fredericton and French-speaking communities and Atlantic Canada and church planting, you're going to have obstacles. There's going to be issues. There's going to be financial issues. It costs a lot to rent this convention center. Yeah. What if all our money goes? What if we don't have enough? There's going to be issues about people. What if Joe's not leading us anymore? What if, what if we have to get other people leading us? And if Joe's too busy and he's, God's taking him into more apostolic things and he's, oh, he's, going, he's going to Charlottetown for seven weeks? Seven weeks? In summer? How are we going to cope? Things are changing. Things aren't the way they used to be. Friendships will change. People will move on maybe. We might have our own personal issues which are giants in the land. They're real issues. But God can overcome them as you walk in faith. Don't let them become giants in the land. Don't let it. How do you stop it? Walk with God. Walk with God. Be filled with the Spirit. Remind yourself of what God has already done in your life. Remind yourself of the promises that he's given you. Because there are consequences to giving into fear. Yes, the people were forgiven, but there were consequences God said, I've forgiven them, but nevertheless, as surely as I live and as surely as the glory of the Lord fills the whole earth, not one of the men who saw my glory and the miraculous signs I've performed in Egypt and in the desert, but who disobeyed me and tested me, not one of them will ever see the land I promised on oath to their forefathers. No one who's treated me with contempt will ever see it. But because my servant Caleb has a different spirit and follows me wholeheartedly, I'll bring him into the land. And he, said, and he says, you know, you've got to go into the desert. And he sends them into the desert. And basically he says, we're going to wait until everyone has died. Every one of this generation has died before you go into the land. Only Joshua and Caleb are going to see it. And if you read on, you'll see for the leaders, the leaders who caused this by, by not trusting God. I mean, this is a weighty thing for leaders. Because they were supposed to lead the people into God and into the things of God. And they caused all that happened by saying, we're not trusting in God. For the leaders, they got killed by a plague. They were struck down by a plague right there and then. So man, ten leaders wiped out. Ten of your leaders And then the rest of you in a desert for 40 years, just waiting for people to die. Could that be any more depressing? You know, if we give in to fear, if you give in to fear as a church, before the promises that God has given you, yes, there will be forgiveness. Yes, we can stand convinced that we will be forgiven by God. But you know, you might just never come into it. God's plans won't be thwarted. The people still went into the promised land, but not them. And God could, could say, do you know what? We'll just wait 40 years, nothing to me, and then we'll bring some more people in, with the, led by those with faith. Don't miss out. Don't miss out on it. You could see amazing things. All those people who'd seen God work in the past, for the next 40 years, they saw nothing. Nothing. Just memories. Oh, yeah, God brought us out once 35 years ago. It's not a way to live out your days. 
And if you're a leader in the church, let me urge you, get behind God. Get behind God. Lead in faith. Get behind Joe and the other elders as they lead in faith. Because you could cause big problems, division, grumbling, and God will judge you for it. That's the weighty responsibility that we have as leaders. I don't want to be depressive and down, but it's just true. You know? Very briefly, because I'm running out of time, because it's important to see this as well. There's a flip side. Right at the end of this, when the people see that, that, they then act again in a wrong way, but this time it's in presumption. So verse 39, it says, when Moses reported all this to the Israelites about the deaths, I guess, they mourned bitterly. And then it says, early the next morning, they went up to the hill country and said, we've sinned. We will go up to the place of the Lord's promised. So they're like, oh, we see it now. Okay, we'll, we'll go. But Moses said, why are you disobeying the Lord's command? This won't succeed. Don't go up because the Lord's not with you. You'll be defeated by your enemies, for the Amalekites and the Canaanites will face you there. You've turned away from the Lord. He won't be with you, and you'll fall by the sword. You can't go up if God's not with you. God says, I'm not going with you now. And the people are like, well, we can do it now. No, you can't. You can't do it without God. It says, nevertheless, in their presumption, they went up to the high hill country, although neither Moses nor the ark of the Lord's covenant moved. God didn't go. Moses, the leader, didn't go. The people just said, we're going on our own. And it says, then the Amalekites and the Canaanites who lived in that hill country came down and attacked them and beat them down all the way to Hormah. Faith is based on what God says. Faith isn't just enthusiasm. Faith isn't just optimism. Faith isn't just, yeah, we can do it. We're going to be going in for God. If God's not said it, if God's not with you, and if the leaders aren't going, don't go. Don't go. You know, some of you, some of you are really excited about what God's doing in you as a church. But make sure you don't go ahead of God. Don't go ahead of your leaders. Because God's presence wasn't going at that point, and neither was Moses. And so there's defeat. Leaders are called leaders for one reason. They lead. They go out first. They take the lead. Don't run ahead of them. Don't run ahead of them. Follow your leaders. Okay, we're coming into land. This can seem like a a, a discouraging and depressing passage, but it's not. It's It's warnings, but you know, God is faithful. Joshua and Caleb do come into the land 40 years later. Let me just end by reading this passage in Joshua chapter 14. Because they come to Hebron. Hebron, the place of the three big guys. The place where Abraham built an altar and said, God's given us this. Joshua 14, verse 6. Now the men of Judah approached Joshua at Gilgal, and Caleb, son of Jephunneh, the Kesnite, said to him, You know what the Lord said to Moses, the man of God at Kadesh Baronea, about you and me. This is what Caleb says. I was 40 years old when Moses, the servant of the Lord, sent me from there to explore the land. And I brought him back a report according to my convictions. But my brothers who went up with me uh, made the hearts of the people sink. I, however, followed the Lord my God wholeheartedly. So Joshua is reminding them of this passage. 
So on that day, Moses swore to me, the land on which your feet have walked will be your inheritance and that of your children forever because you followed the Lord my God wholeheartedly. So Moses basically told Caleb what God had said. Caleb, everyone's going to die. Everyone's going to be, you know, in the desert, but God's going to bring you into it. So Caleb's been holding on to it in faith for 40 years. And then he says this. Now then, just as the Lord promised, he has kept me alive for 45 years since the time when he said this to Moses while Israel moved about in the desert. So here I am today, 85 years old. 85 years old. And he says, I'm still as strong today as the day Moses sent me out. I'm just as vigorous to go to battle now as I was then. So now, give me this hill country that the Lord promised me that day. You yourself heard that the Anakites were there and their cities were large. I'm fortified, but with the Lord helping me, I will drive them out just as he said. He knew he's going to do it. Because God's promised him he's going to do it. And he's 85 now. And he's an old guy. But he's saying, I'm still as strong. And I'm still believing it. And this is the day I have been waiting for all my life. So do you know what? There's some big guys there. And the walls are fortified. But we're going in. And we're going to take this land. And it says, then Joshua blessed Caleb and gave him Hebron as as his inheritance. So Hebron has belonged to Caleb, son of Jephunneh, ever since because he followed the Lord, God of Israel, wholeheartedly. It doesn't even talk about the battle. He don't even get to it. It was a tough battle. He was like, he's got it. He's gone in and he's got it. And God says, and it's your inheritance now. Because you believe me and you follow me. And you might have had to wait. But you kept going. And 45 years in the desert, you waited and you waited, but you never stopped believing. And you knew when the moment came, I'm going in. That's the spirit God is encouraging us to do into. And I don't know when God is going to lead you as a church from one thing into another. And I'm not saying it's today. In fact, it's it's probably not today, some of it. So don't rush ahead. Don't rush ahead. But when the day comes... When you get Joe and Kevin and Gary and Brent and whoever else might be an elder at the time standing before you and saying, do you know what? We believe God's saying this. We're going ahead for this. We believe we've heard God. We've listened to the people. Actually, some of you have come and you've said this and we think that's a good idea. And we believe God's leading us. Let me urge you, follow them wholeheartedly. Believe God. Trust in him. Don't let fear get the better of you. Don't let the giants in the land paralyze you. God is with us. God is with you as a church. He's given you promises. He's given you an inheritance. He's given you something that you can say and see. You'll see miracles on the way. Don't miss out. Don't miss out. You know, today, if you're paralyzed and if you're full of fear, God can set you free today. He can come by his presence I don't even know how much time we've got because I'm pretty much done. I'm going to pray. I'm going to hand over to these guys in a minute. But, so they can make a decision. But do you know what? Even if we've run out of time and you're full of fear, you know, stick around because we'll pray for you because God's with us and he's about a great thing. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you that we can be convinced about you and about your word. Lord, we know there are so many things that we just don't know 
how it's going to work out. We don't know exactly what the future will hold. We don't know whether you'll take us this way or that way to get us into what you have promised. But we do know, Lord, that you will lead us into what you have promised. We do know that you're with us. We do know that you're singing over us. We do know that you love us, not because of anything we've done, but because Jesus stood in our place and brought us into a relationship with you. And Lord, I pray, I want to pray for for all of us here, and I want to pray for this church, for Christ uh, Central Church, Fredericton. Lord, lead them on, will you, into all you have for them. Let them stand wholeheartedly. Lord, where grumbling and fear and murmuring might start, Lord, let it be quenched straight away by people speaking uh, faith and truth into situations. Lord, unify the people together and bring them into everything you've called them to. In Jesus' name, amen.